Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm with my friend Dom Franks, who I guess I, I first met you in the context of hearing that you're somebody that is deeply into Bill Plotkin and has done a lot of work with the Animus Valley Institute, um, which I have as well. So I was immediately drawn and curious to you, curious about you and your journey. And uh, I think like the reputation that I heard about you before I met you in person was that you're like the guy that gets up at four in the morning and like hikes up a mountain and goes skiing and all before like your 7am Zoom call or something like that. <laughs> and that you're just uh, kind of like this crazy mountain man that also is, you know, pretty normal guy in many other ways. It's not like you're, you know, have a giant beard and you're living in the in the woods, but you still find time to kind of like integrate your love of nature and like really spending a ton of time in the wild in the sometimes the very remote wild, while also kind of living and integrating into the modern world. So I'm also very drawn to you um, uh, in those ways, in part because I feel like I long to um, play more in those places of being out in the wild and being out um, totally sort of like disconnected from daily life, but in a way that feels very intimate and part of my daily life while still being uh, in nature that way. So yeah, those are a couple of threads, but I'm curious, Tom, how would you like to describe yourself and just a brief, a brief intro of who you are and what's lighting you up these days? Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Tucker. It's it's really great to be here. Um, appreciate that intro. If if that's the if that is the uh, words that precede me, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Um, yeah, uh, excited to dive in a little bit more about Animus Valley as well. It's been a really powerful um, piece of both of our lives. And yeah, I mean, really, what you're talking about there is this concept of integrated wildness, which is something that I've been exploring for a long time. Like, what does it look like to both remember that we are foundationally an animal embedded in the tapestry of life on this planet and also be part of the human village, which is to some degree largely separated right now, or that is the perception that it's very easy to have. So yeah, sometimes it looks like getting up at four in the morning and going skiing and then getting on a zoom call. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, you can only do that so many days in a row. Um, but I do certainly have like a big passion for pushing my body in wild places uh, and that's something I've been trying to explore how to like integrate effectively in my life. Um, so yeah, excited to to pull on any of those threads. Um, to your question about how I would describe myself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have been walking in two different worlds for a long time. Um, I uh, both had a career for about a decade working in climate, climate focused tech companies or climate tech, people call it. Um, and I've also been a wilderness guide and a leadership coach for many years. And so right now I'm really working on integrating those two pathways uh, into a program that I just launched, um, which we can get into more called the Vivify Regenerative Leadership Program. Um, but yeah, what's lighting me up right now is uh, launching uh, Vivify and, and really creating a powerful cohort. Uh, and then also, um, yeah, doing my favorite thing in the world, which is backcountry skiing. So that's uh, that's me. Awesome. Well, before we get to Vivify, I'm just curious about maybe what was lighting you, what were some of the seeds of illumination of the Dom that is alive today that is starting a program like Vivify, like back in your, your early childhood, perhaps, or what were some of the key moments that maybe like awoke, awakened you, awoke you to 
um, the pathways that you're you're walking and helping others walk down now in your life. Yeah, um, I was just listening to a podcast that you then recommended to me last night with uh, Alexa Fermanesh and Nate Hagens, um, in which uh, Alexa was talking about connection with nature and how there are these like these neuronal connections or connections like in our neurons that are wired when we're very young. And that's something that was very much the case for me. Like my family, I grew up in Washington state and my family spent a lot of time camping. And so I can remember, you know, like in, in when I was eight, there's the, this apocryphal family story of me trying to get pretty rocks for my dad on father's day and deciding that the best place to get prettier rocks was across a river. And then there was somehow an air mattress on the bank of the river. And I decided to try to float to the other side and almost got swept out to sea and had to like swim back to shore. And so like, I, I did have a childhood of like, among other things, a lot of unsupervised time outside. And I feel like I really wired in a lot of those connections and, um, and then I also had a really powerful experience when I was in sixth grade um, where I've, I've told the story before. So folks might um, who know me uh, might know it. But um, when I was in sixth grade, they showed us uh, an inconvenient truth in science class, which was like a OG climate documentary with Al Gore. And uh, I fainted like the movie scared me so badly that I lost consciousness and woke up on the floor of the classroom. And um, when my dad picked me up from school, because they obviously sent me home. I was like, dad, did you know about this? Like, were you aware of what we're doing to our planet? And, and it was, it, to me, it felt like the rug of what my understanding of what the world was got pulled out from under me. Like I mostly thought the adults had it under control and they just turned out really didn't. Um, and he said, you know, if you feel that strongly about it, go do something about it when you grow up. And so, you know, there have been twists and turns along my path, but pretty much the entire time I've always felt like the most important thing to give our attention to is our relationship to the natural world. Um, so I'll pause there as many other ways that I've tried to answer that question, but that's really what inspired me early on. Yeah. That's a wild story about fainting. Um, I mean, so I don't want to go down too many rabbit holes, but, um, why not? Let's just go down one, which is around, um, yeah, teens growing up today and the amount of anxiety and the amount of apocalyptic news stories that are coming out, the climate, the different meta crises. I mean, I think there's something like, um, I wish I could remember the exact stat. So don't quote me on this, but something like 40% of teens or 60% of teens um, have no hope for the future or something like that. And so I guess what I'm curious about you and your work and sort of how you've integrated all of this, like the, the seriousness of some of the challenges that humanity and the all living beings are facing right now, while also maintaining a sense of um, um, like an underlying joy and a reason to even continue living and a way in which we can still like hold on to either hope or faith or trust or just the life force energy that makes it so beautiful to be alive. I'm curious like how you orient to some of these different ways of being and um, how did you go from a kid in sixth grade that fainted to who you are today, which I experienced as like a pretty happy, delightful, often smiling, beautiful human? Um, yeah, thanks for that. I think uh, I'll start with the first part of your question, which is about like, you know, anxiety and and climate grief. And um, 
and all of that. And then maybe weave in some other parts along the way. Yeah. Um, you know, in my work with Outward Bound, I worked with a lot of teenagers, uh, many of whom had this challenge. And I think a lot of adults have this too. And I've had it. Uh, I still do, but I think I, I've learned some tools to to be with it a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's this it's this hard balance where we need to be able to like stand fully towards the challenges of the future and and hold it without either becoming overwhelmed or sort of retreating into nihilism. Um, and I. <laughs> This sounds a little cliche, but like the phrase that comes to mind for me is Joanna Macy's a wild love for the world. Like for me, it starts with just falling more deeply in love with the world and with life and with the miracle of the opportunity that we get to be here at all. Um, like one uh, really foundational series of books for me was the Mars trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson. And among many other uh among many other reasons that I love that trilogy, um, it really paints a picture of how hard it is to create a self-sustaining ecosystem on Mars. And it gives an appreciation for like, even if the life support systems of Earth are being incredibly damaged by humans, we still have like so much beautiful foundations here for just a miraculous world. And so, you know, Again, I feel like I'm speaking quotes a lot, but there's a, a beautiful collection of essays on climate called All We Can Save, which is uh, written by all female authors, I believe. And um, so it's it's really around the question of like, yes, we have lost a lot, but what can we save and what does the the changing, beautiful world that we can be a part of creating look like? Um, so I think while, yeah, if you're really just doom scrolling and spending a lot of time in statistics and focusing on what, what we are losing, which is important to do, like we need to we need to have that fear and anxiety response to wake us up. Like it was great that I saw an inconvenient truth. It was not pleasant in the moment, but it set me on a track that I, I believe was a good one for me. So we need to be able to like look at that and and feel it and not numb it, but then be able to shift into more of a, you know, being fueled by our love for the world rather than that fear in order to be able to work sustainably on these problems. So um, yeah, I'll pause there. Those are some thoughts. Great. Yeah, I mean, this is in part what the podcast is about. It's called Illuminating Life. And the the intention is to just light up that which people love and then to celebrate mm -hmm. that and to share that and to recognize the beauty of all that's already here, even as we might be going through challenges internally, externally, collectively, individually. I, my question for you is how have you learned to fall in love with life? Like what are the what are the what is your own life process and journey with that? And then how have you um, helped guide others into that as well? In a way that feels like the only question to ask. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there is a, it is the first question to ask, I think. Uh, and I, I do think there are other questions afterwards because like okay. to some degree, I feel like, you know, in the sense that the reason I say that is not to be snarky, but like, you know, it doesn't work unless it works. And like, we need to take actual action in the world to make, make a difference. So I just want to like lay that foundation. Um, but in terms of your question of, of, for me, I think <clears throat> foundational experiences like adv both adventuring in the natural world and honestly some some pretty profound eye-opening experiences at festivals like 
I am the stereotypical guy who went to Burning Man for the first time and came back like eyes all aglow and trying to hug everybody at the office. And, <laughs> and like, you know, I have enormous gratitude for the, the dear friends and people that showed me that place. Um, and while, you know, we don't need to get into a whole rabbit hole about Burning Man and all that, I think like the way of friendship and the way of being and the way of like playful creativity that that place showed me has really changed my life and helped me fall in love with the world in, in a pretty profound way. Um, and then just continuing to have incredible experiences in the natural world. Like I remember when I was first, I was working as a software engineer at a solar company right out of college. And I went to Patagonia with my dad. And I remember just walking uh, through the Todos Tapaine in, in Patagonia and just having this feeling of like every single time that I immerse myself in the wilderness, I have a profound experience. Why don't I prioritize this more? Mm. And, you know, I was very fortunate. I then like left that job. I did a month long course with Knowles, which is the National Outdoor Leadership School in the North Cascades in Washington, fell completely in love, like one level deeper with wilderness education and the experience of being out in the wild with a group where we're all supporting each other and exploring ourselves and the world around us, which is a totally different experience to me than, you know, backpacking alone or being out in the wilderness alone. And then it's just been progressive from there. But for me, it's like the, the, it's simultaneously like being in love with both the specificity and the majesty of the natural world and with the incredible power of like being able to move my body through it. Um, uh, and so, yeah, those, those are some of the, the most profound experiences for me that have helped me continue to fall in love. So I just, when you said move my body through it, I just felt my body light up and I was, um, when I'm, craving is for you to like paint a picture of one of those experiences or one of those moments and like actually you know somatic or sensorial sensorially sort of um bring us into that experience with you yeah absolutely um i'll uh i'll tell a story that i actually recently wrote about on on substack as well so last year i did a um five-day traverse of what's called the southern sierra high route so it's like a hundred mile mostly off-trail traverse uh, from Mount Whitney North in California. And so I was three days in, hadn't seen another person in a while, was mostly off-trail. And I came to this stream crossing, which was supposed to be a stream crossing, but it was really more of a river crossing because last year the Sierra got like 300% of their annual snowpack. So the river was really big. And I either had the choice to, like I was exhausted and I had a lot more distance to go. I had the choice to cross the river or to like bushwhack through really dense side hilling forest for like two miles to get to a, uh, a trail. And that probably would have taken me like two or three hours. And I made the wrong choice. I made the wrong choice. The wrong choice was to get in the river because that's very dangerous, but I'll continue with the story. This is, <laughs> I, I say, this is not a recommendation to do this, <laughs> um, but I essentially misjudged the height of the river. So I got in the river and I was wading across and I got about two thirds of the way through and I could feel like my next step was going to take me significantly deeper. And the water's freezing. The water's like 33 degrees. So my legs are also like becoming pretty numb and I could start to feel my feet slip a little bit. And as I, it was like before I could even think about what I was doing, I had like lunged to my left, grabbed a boulder on the far bank, was totally soaked and then like pulled myself out of the river. And the current had pulled the bottom half of my trekking pole totally out of the pole. So I like lost half my trekking pole. My whole pack was soaked. Fortunately, it was waterproof. 
And I just sort of pulled myself out of the river, all bedraggled on the other side. And I'm like freezing cold, uh, shivering. But I was looking around at the like the blue of the sky. There's this particular like vibrant blue in the Sierras because you're so high. And the, these towering granite peaks all around me and these just endless expanses of of forest. And I just started laughing until I was crying. Mm-hmm. It was just this sense of like, I, you know, it was a scary moment, but I felt so alive and, you know, so many elements there, like the cold water and the the adrenaline and, and just the sheer natural beauty and the prospect of like, all I had to do for the next three days of my life was walk. And there was just this beauty of like life becoming so simple and just all about just moving as an animal across my favorite landscape in the world. Um, yeah, so that was a particularly memorable and beautiful one. Could you describe a little more what it feels like to, to feel so alive? What does that mean to you? Mm. It almost felt and feels like sort of a, like an expansion of my peripheral vision and a sense of like tingling on my skin. Like there's a heightening of my senses and to some degree, like a dropping away of the internal narrative. Um, it is, I imagine what it might feel to, uh, arrive in, um, particularly refined meditative states. Um, but with this added layer of like just energy, like welling up through my body from the ground and just this sort of excitement to like keep playing. Like I, I remember like looking down the trail that was leading up sort of back into the high country. And I was like, I felt so much more energized and was just ready to like continue to explore really. Um, and I just felt the freedom of like the, um, the, yeah, the, I mean, there's a, there's a very famous, uh, mountaineering book, uh, that's like a sort of a technical textbook of how to like deal with ropes and all this stuff. It's called mountaineering, the freedom of the Hills. And I think the freedom of the Hills is like a great, mm. just that, that phrase really evokes it in me. Mm. Beautiful. I'm curious, I'm suspicious of my own question here, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask it anyways, which is, you know, there's the the term like adrenaline junkie or the one that sort of chases those moments and those peak experiences. And that could happen at festivals, at meditation retreats and nature. So how do you work with um, both putting yourself in positions to have those peak experiences and then also integrating them into um situations that don't involve life and death <laughs> necessarily or that that's a great question and and this is something this is actually maybe a great opportunity to weave in a little bit of the the animus valley experience because this is actually great. something that i worked with a lot in the process of exploring um myself through the animus valley year long so um a little bit of context uh animus valley institute founded by bill plotkin about 40 years ago he's written four or five books on what I would describe as the psycho-spiritual relationship to the natural world and that's and its impact on human development. Um, and so uh, when I was in the Animus Valley year long, one thing that I was exploring a lot was my relationship with my escapists. And this is like um, sort of a framework around parts work, but these are particular parts of ourselves that want to escape from the gnarlier, nitty gritty bits of life through peak experience. That could be addiction, that could be meditation there's any any number of ways to escape um and i was suspicious that i had like a not an advent not adrenaline junkie i don't i wouldn't call myself an adrenaline junkie but like an adventure junkie Mm -hmm. like uh like i'm not fully alive unless i'm pushing my body in the mountains and so i really spent a lot of time exploring this and, and where i really landed is like 
who who is wanting to adventure? Like, where is this coming from? Is this coming from wanting to run away from more difficult things that are present in my life? Am I able to integrate the experiences and aliveness that come when I'm, um, you know, living these days that bring me so much energy into my deeper work in the world? Like, am I, am I actually dedicating my life to what I want to dedicate it to, which is healing our relationship with the natural world? Or am I just sort of like self-serving playing? And what I found is generally I can understand the answer to that question. <laughs> like it's generally pretty clear who's doing what. And I've like, I've had profound experiences in the mountains where I was like, wow, I was really coming from soul in that place. And maybe I was, maybe I was singing in reciprocity to the natural world. Maybe I was, um, yeah, just really in like dropped in presence with, with the peaks. And I've also had experiences where it's like, ah, yeah, I was, I was probably just escaping. It's usually when I tell, I tell myself something like, oh, I'm a skier. I should ski today. Um, and, uh, and so it can be both. And I think it's really a question of like who, or like which part of me is wanting to do these things. Yeah. Yeah. So I also have, yeah, read all of Plotkin's books and his book, Nature and the Human Soul, quite literally saved my life. It just found me at the perfect moment. It, it gave me a story and a reason to live again, um, and also a map and a direction for how to move forward at a time when I felt really stuck in a pretty dark place. Um, and through doing various vision quests programs with Animus, yeah, that was one of the big revelations of my life in the past six years was like how to sense into qualities that we could call soul qualities that we could call spirit or transcendent and qualities that we could call um, the ego or the personality structure and how are they all ultimately one experience and how are they all ultimately one experience expressing us separate um, or uh, diverse or distinct experiences as well. And yeah, absolutely for you, like, um, cause I think it's actually different. My, my, my prediction would be that it's actually quite different for each person as to how those experiences show up in one's body and one's intuitive felt sense or, or knowing, um, just based off our physiology, physio physiology, our psychology, our typology, um, our relationship with how sort of, um, like flexed each of those different dimensions of reality are and which ones we kind of bias or, or, you know, tend to um, not pay as much attention to. So I'm curious for you, how do you sort of sense into those different ways of being and how do they show up in your direct experience? If you were to like almost describe it to an alien that doesn't know what that experience is like. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is like, what is, an experience with like a deeper part of ourself, call it soul, call it something else. Feel like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, I'll throw in a little bit of um some other stuff from Animus Valley because I think it's it's it would would have been helpful for me listening to this podcast three years ago. Um, and so the way that um Bill and Animus Valley define soul is our both ecological niche and mythopoetic identity. Ecological niche is operating from the assumption that everyone is here for a reason. Uh, a fox is here to fulfill a particular ecological niche. A moth is here to fulfill a particular ecological niche. And so is Tucker. And so is Dom. And so are you. And so your soul is. What is that. an ecological niche? 
An ecological niche is uh, the role that a particular organism plays within a system. So bees pollinate, um, bees like help uh, flowers grow by moving nectar around. And it's sort of like the puzzle piece are in the broader puzzle of the ecology that you're in. And though it might not feel like it, we all humans, we are in embedded hopelessly and joyfully in the ecology of where we live. Um, so I'll throw that in there. Um, and so what it has felt like for me, uh, is very much through the body. Um, animus often talks about soul images and sometimes they come to people in dreams or in other sort of visual things. That was never the case for me. Um, so for me, it has felt like a profound sense of aliveness or like an awareness that like something special is happening right there. And it sort of feels like the internal cells inside of me are being rewired. Um, and the specific experience that I can point to here is like towards the end of my year long journey with animus. Um, we, uh, sort of had the opportunity to enact some representation of our journey thus far, uh, to do something in front of the group that would feel really edgy. And, um, I ended up doing, um, some uh, self-designed ceremony in which I covered myself in green clay and uh, essentially was in like an extended prayer to the earth. And I went into an intense trance state. Like I don't remember what I said and I don't remember really what I was doing at all. It really felt like I was being possessed um, by a deeper part of myself or by some energy coming from the earth. And I remember sort of coming out of that and looking around at the, the other 15 people around me and just seeing this, this look in their eyes of like, who are you? It was like, they had just like seen me transform in front of their eyes. And for weeks and months afterwards, I felt noticeably different. Like I felt meaningfully changed on what felt like a cellular level from that experience. Um, and it has like waxed and waned since then, um, as these things are are prone to do. But you know, and you know, just to just to say, like, no substances involved here. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's always felt through the body, and it feels like almost something that I'm not fully in control of. Um, yeah, that's wild. We haven't talked about this before, but I've had an extremely similar situation uh, at Animus. It was. We were invited to do something that would be, you know, the most revealing or risky or intense for us. And I did something similar. I took off all my clothes and I was fully naked in front of this fire. And then this trance-like experience took over. I had this out-of-body experience. I was basically like writhing on the ground and just completely lost control of any somatic sense of what was happening and just kind of went into this um, detached witness state. But it also felt perfect because it was like some part of me was leaving my body so my body could just experience what it needed to experience in order to go through that cellular level transformation and then when I sort of came back to when I like came to again everyone was just sort of looking at me and I just like uh and I picked up all my clothes and I walked away and then there was this message that kept repeating and it didn't feel like it wasn't in my mind it wasn't in my brain you know as like a normal thought it was just like echoing. It was like echoing, reverberating through soul. And um, 
yeah, I won't go too much into the details of that right now, but basically I felt completely, you know, that really cliche metaphor where they're like, oh, you got to update your operating system of, of your, of your mind, of your being. And I'm most of the time I'm like, ah, such like a cliche, but th that's the best way I could describe it is, was I was like a new person. There was a new software that was installed both physiologically and psychologically. And I, there was no way to go back from that. It was like some threshold was crossed and I was a new being. And um, the crazy part was in this experience, we, it was on the last day of this vision quest. And then the very next day we went back in the Joshua tree, turned on our cell phones and we found out that COVID was coming and the entire country was shutting down and we were told to immediately get to the airport and fly home. And so I had like all these plans and I ended up flying to a, island in Maine called Peaks Island, where I was born actually in 1990. And then I flew back and basically had like this rebirth experience on this island in Maine for the first six months of COVID while the whole world was shut down. <laughs> wow. Well, where to start there? I mean, I, uh, the operating system metaphor, I think, yeah, it can be a little cliche. It's also a pretty good one. Um, yeah. I've had a few experiences like that. It often comes with shaking or some sense of um of movement and it's and it's actually often something that i invite people into mm -hmm. like um you can do this with a subtle experience right like you, i often will you know in a moment of really strong connection with the natural world when i'm out skiing or just on a wander or something like that um or when i'm guiding i'll just invite folks like great take a couple of minutes and like shake this feeling into every cell in your body mm. and like that invitation is a way to take it out of an idea in our mind of what's happening and into like a felt sense memory in the body. Um, our mutual friend, Johnny Miller, uh, introduced me to this quote, um, knowledge is a rumor until it lives in the muscle. And I think that is a great way to orient towards both learning things that are more easily learned and figured out. And also these more intense, like transformational experiences. Yeah. I want to get to your understanding of your ecological niche and how that might um, fit in with Vivify. But before I do, I'm curious at the time when I was, when I had this experience that I was just sharing and, and, you know, some others that were happening around that time, I started actually getting into really um, started really getting into Christian mysticism. And it was interesting because I felt a little bit like um, animus was really soul oriented for, you know, beautiful. I think that's a, a smart, wise decision on their part um, to really focus on that. But I was also having these sort of transcendent experiences and I, I needed some sort of meaning making or, or um, lineage to help integrate and understand those. And so I kind of started mixing the two and I would like go, you know, on a animus exploration or just be out in nature and go through baptisms. And it was like that same thing of being in freezing cold water in the middle of Maine in January, and then feeling like the cellular level, you know, process of a system reboot, but then mythologizing it through Christian mysticism, language and vocabulary. And it was really profound because it helped me to kind of bring these two worlds that aren't separate, but they can kind of be taught separately and often made separate in the modern world and in our education systems. And it helped to, me to just find a way of integrating them without anyone else doing that for me. It was just sort of an intuitive impulse in me to, to create that integration point. Um, so I'm just curious for you at the time and even now, like are there other, besides for Animus, are there other 
things that you've studied or lineages or practices or just experiences that you have that feel also like, um, you know, like um, pools of wisdom and knowledge that you dip into a lot? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. And I think your, uh, your exploration of like the, the spirit and soul, um, the, the two poles sort of going up and going down, uh, is really sort of what I hear with the Christian mysticism. So that's, that's beautiful. Um, I think for me, there's nothing that feels quite as strong as animus. Um, and some things that have been very inspiring to me are experiences that I've had in a number of plant medicine lineages, um, which, uh, I will go into, to the degree to say, like, I love the, the way Sam Harris describes this. He's like, you know, you give people some plant medicine and like something is going to happen. <laughs> there's no sense. There's no sense of like, oh, maybe this is working or maybe it's not. It's generally like some, something will happen. Um, and so I've had some, some really profound and beautiful experiences, particularly with ayahuasca has been the one that, um, has been most, um, meaningful and, and worldview shifting for me. And oftentimes that feels like a, an operating system upgrade as well, um, rather than anything that can be, um, uh, attached and, and latched onto with the mind. Um, and the other thing that I'll say is, is animus touches on this a little bit, but I am such a huge fan and admirer of the Emerald podcast. And while I wouldn't say that this is like a lineage that I've uh, studied in, I, I have not done done his year-long program yet, Josh Shry of the Emerald. Um, and just to say the Emerald podcast is, is this really beautiful exploration of the way that mythology um, and story, and I believe he says imagination, weave into the modern world, which is really, really well produced, a phenomenal like sonic journey. Um, and there have been a couple particular episodes of the Emerald that have like shaken me to my core uh, and are just profound invitations into viewing the world as animate. And what I mean by that is like viewing all other beings and part of parts of the world as having like agency and soul and, um, and yeah, essentially being animated. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that I have anything that is the same degree of resonance as Christian mysticism is for you, but there are certainly a number of other explorations that are very close to my heart. Well, so yeah, where, how, who are you today? Who are you right now? And how do you feel like your work with Animus and your just journey in life in general has shaped you into a being that is like, how would you describe yourself beyond Dom Frank's, the white male-bodied human that is speaking to me on a podcast who how would you describe yourself on a soul level yeah um well yeah i'll just share a word and a name that feels particularly resonant and uh and expressive here um so the word is veriditas uh which is a word that was coined by um a german mystic nun uh, in the 13th century named Hildegard von Bingen, who was an epic lady, very worth looking into her. Um, but she, uh, she coined the word veriditas and what it means is like life's natural enthusiasm for life or like the green force that pushes grass up from the ground. Um, and I first came across this word also in the Mars books, because this is a, a word that starts to be used by the Martian terraformers to describe the spiritual experience of watching a planet 
like parts of a planet go from red to green, go from dead to alive. Um, and it's just this wonder at the incredible complexity and beauty of the natural world and this almost like overflowing abundance of just, um, yeah, complexity and, and exuberance. Um, like the experience I have walking through like a rainforest or any other particularly lush place is one of like the exuberance of life. Um, and Veriditas is both like a, an invitation into that. And it's also like a lot of what I understand my own like essence to be like, uh, so I'm, I'm running a program called the Vivify Regenerative Leadership Program. There's a reason that's also a V word. I can get into that at some point if you want. Um, but Vivify means to bring to life or to endow with life. And like foundationally at this point through my work in the world, if the one thing that I can do is help people like fall more in love with the world and feel more connected to that exuberance of life, then that's a success. Um, and I'm sure that will evolve in the future, but like right now, sort of the intersection between like what I think the world needs and what I feel like totally excited and, and, and competent and inspired to offer is really like, yeah, giving people a good shake, uh, to, to wake up out of whatever sense of dullness and burnout and overwhelm, which I have totally experienced throughout the last decade and into a sense of, yeah, energy and, and aliveness and exuberance, um, and connecting with that essence of veriditas. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it deeply resonates. I, I don't tend to use those exact, that exact language, which is why I think it's it's so beautiful. It's because you're like painting a reality or an experience or a resonance that feels deeply um, a place of home and deeply familiar. Mm -hmm. I've been using the word eros a lot, like this, this sense of this life force that is larger than me, but coming through me as me to express life to life. That is ultimately um, a sense of grace and a sense of like wonder and magic. And it kind of creates this, um, the sense of like the cup of life is filling up and then it just overflows and it naturally wants to give and to serve and to, and to care and to love. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like my own, my own kind of spin on what you're saying, but I, I can feel how it's coming through dominus in a particular flavor and it's in a particular way. And I think it's, it's super rad. Yeah. I mean, I think Eros is a phenomenal way of explaining it as well. Um, and maybe the only thing that I'd add is like my understanding of Veriditas is almost like to me, it has like a brighter tone than Eros. Like Eros feels more like uh, almost like guttural and I'm not an expert in the chakras, but maybe like a lower chakra center uh, than maybe Veriditas. But um, I think we're really touching into the same thing, which is this like foundational, yeah, source of life really. Yeah, I actually, it's funny because right before you could say that, right before you said the lightness part, it's like I felt the energy of what you're speaking more sort of like up here and in a really beautiful way. Like it feels like my body just wants to stretch and be elevated and kind of rise up, but also feel fully grounded at the same time. And so I can totally feel that. And I love, like, that's one of my new fascinations is how words, the, um, like the actual sound of the word, like the intonation of the tone creates a texture that actually 
somatically and experientially shapes reality. And to me, that's what alchemy is. It's like we get to like, that's what poetry is as well as choosing particular words that often are like the content of the word or the, or the, um, the literal meaning is less important than the actual alchemy of the experience that one has when they're, when they're listening to it. So, yeah, I feel like you're doing my, that. my favorite word for that is fierce, fierce, like the word fierce just feels like it expresses the energy of ferocity in a way that's so like simple for one syllable. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Nice. So how, yeah, this is, <laughs> so when, when we ha sort of have this sense of, okay, this is something that moves me, it moves my soul. And it's something that is bringing, it's an animating force to my life. Um, and to those that I naturally touch by just being in direct experience and relationship with, with all of life. And at the same time, how do we bring that into a project or a passion or something that we can actually bring out into the world? And also, quite frankly, to make money and survive in this modern society that we find ourselves a part of, um, potentially not for too much longer, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so how have you um, begun to integrate all of this work and all of this um, sort of self-discovery into an offering? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And I think is, is almost the harder part <laughs> is, you know, figuring out what to do with these experiences that are very hard to integrate. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can speak a little bit about how animus approaches this as well, which is the way that I understand it for myself, which is sort of, there are, there are two phases of bringing your deepest self into the world, um, which is metamorphosis and enactment. So it's sort of this sense of like, you are not going to be immediately transformed and ready to offer your most profound gift into the world. There is a period of needing to be shaped and the shaping is done by the world itself. So the invitation from Animus, among many other things, is to engage in which things would, I think this is named pretty poorly, but it's called a, an experimental threshold crossing, which is something like, what would this deeper version of myself do in this moment? What project would this part of myself bring forward? And then allowing yourself to be shaped by the world in return. So that's how I view Vivify. Um, so the Vivify Regenerative Leadership Program is like my best bet at what Veriditas is bringing forward into the world. And through talking about it, through guiding people through it, through, yeah, bringing this creation into the world, I'm being further shaped into the version of myself that is closer to my ecological niche, um, my deepest expression. And so uh, it's really sort of a learn by doing and and be okay to make mistakes along the way. I'm sure that everything you and I do in this world will continue to evolve. Um, there's really like nothing is ever complete. Um, and, uh, I think it's, it is hard though. I will definitely say to strike the balance between doing something that feels totally resonant with the deepest part of yourself and something that connects with people where they're at, uh, in a way that they can understand the value of. And I think that is also just an, an iterative process of, refining language and being, I've found like the more conversational that I can be with folks 
rather than like clickbaity or attention grabby uh, tends to work better. But that's just a different pace and a different scale than many things in our modern world. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, there's just this quote from Jamie Wheel that I like. It just keeps ringing in. Uh, it's a paraphrase, but it's something along the lines of, if you have an awakening, shut the fuck up for 10 years and apprentice to a master. And I just, there's some beautiful quintessential Jamie wisdom in that, in the sense of like, in this sense, the master can be the soul, this, this, this sense of this being that we're both um, a part of and more becoming as it becomes more us, you know, it's like this process of, of um, it's essentially a part of the embodiment journey, but it may be happening on the soul level. And of course that integrates into the physical body as well. Um, so I love that you're framing what you're doing in that way. I think that's also deeply resonant with some of the projects that I've been working on this past um, year and a half or so. Um, so what is Vivify? Oh, did you want to say well, something? Yeah, I want to touch into that point because okay. I think it's that that idea and concept is one that I think about a lot. Like, have I fully embodied this teaching? Am I really able to walk the walk of what I'm going forward and offering into the world? Um, and there's a reason that Vivify is structured the way that it is, and I'll, I'll get into more what it is, but like Vivify is a, is a collection of teachings that I feel totally grounded and excited to offer. And it's not a collection of all the deepest, most profound things that have ever happened to me. Like no plant medicine involved. I'm not, uh, guiding the soul journey as Animus Valley describes it because that's not where I'm at in terms of my journey as a guide, uh, or as a coach or as a leader. And there are uh, so many things in terms of, you know, bringing awareness and connection to that vibrance of life and that veriditas that is like, fuck yeah, I can offer that. And so I am wholeheartedly in support of what Jamie said. Uh, and yeah, it's like, teach what you embody, embody what you teach and don't go beyond that. And like finding the level where you're like, yeah, I can stand in this and, and teach it. And then if yes, like go forth. Um, I think that's, that's sort of the, the way that I'm approaching it with Vivify. Yeah. There's a, there's a quality of integrity in what I'm hearing is, mm. is not going beyond your skis, so to speak. And, you know, I think that's an important, well, how animus has framed that. And it's given you sort of a structural context in which you can map your own journey. I think a lot of people don't have that in the modern world. And so they go and they have an amazing experience on ayahuasca. And then the next thing they're becoming an ayahuasca shaman, like 10 days later, or, um, and not to say that those paths aren't going to be deeply revealing some important medicine for those folks. And so it's not really even a critique of that, although there's plenty of critiques that one could could yield in that direction, but it's more of, um, there's something about like the longer arc of the soul journey that maybe even happens over multiple lifetimes in a sense, if you want to bring it into that domain, that to me, it's like what Bayo Akamalafi says, um, times are urgent, we need to slow down. And it's like bringing a sense of just like slowing down reality and all of life into a temperance that can actually allow for that embodiment journey to take place. And um, yeah, so I'm just appreciating you and the, and the, the quality of integrity and in what I'm hearing. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, that quote from the reason I laughed when you uh, brought 
that quote up is uh, a program that I ran last November specifically for climate leaders. Um, the first thing on the landing page was the times are urgent. We need to slow down. Um, and that's something that has been so hard for me to do because so much of my life, I have really felt the urgency of the times that we're in and have gone into really intense periods of anxiety that like, I'm not doing enough on climate, on ecological restoration and any, any, like I was implicitly making myself solely responsible for solving the climate crisis. And that's not going to be something that's going to lead to a great work on the climate crisis and be like. A, a level of life satisfaction because no one can do it alone. So, um, yeah, appreciate you bringing that quote in. Um, yeah. And go ahead. Well, I just wanted to name one thing, which is that another quality that I'm appreciating and animus is that it does actually ask of one to bring their work out into the world as in a part of the apprenticeship to your, to one's soul experience because I think ultimately like this is maybe a contrast from some of the transcendent schools of lineages where there's a sense of like well the world is an illusion so let's just hang out and boundless timeless awareness and just watch kind of um you know um samsara pass by or whatever and what animus is doing is like ultimately to actually fully embody your soul it needs to have an impact in the world like love is sort of soul, <laughs> like a, a form of love or a form of care is um, is actually touching another life. And there's an intimacy in that, in that relational process. And in the fact that our ecological niche is, one, like you said, one puzzle piece in this larger mosaic, this, I would call it a multidimensional uh, kind of holonic mosaic that is quite vast. And from that perspective of vastness, there is actually a sense of a deep responsibility that ultimately... I feel in my own being. Um, and I appreciate the animus like makes it vast and then brings that vastness back into our moment to moment. How are we showing up in the world in real life situations with the people that we love with the strangers at the grocery store? And can we both embody our soul in projects that are, you know, out in the world, but also as our being as our as our radiating light that we shine forth with? Yeah. I mean, I'm wholeheartedly agree there. Another, uh, Jamie wheel quote here, stay awake, build stuff, help out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I really love. <clears throat> so let's dive into Vivify. What, what is it? Yeah. So Vivify is, uh, a four month long program built around a week long backpacking trip in the high Sierra. Now, the High Sierra is my favorite place in the world, and so I'm just so excited to be going back up there and, and guiding people into those incredible mountains. And Vivify is really designed to, just as you were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, bring the aliveness of the wild, that veriditas, into our daily lives mm -hmm. so that we can be of deeper service. And what I've learned through years of wilderness guiding is that you need a longer form container to do that than just a week-long backpacking trip. So Vivify starts on April 21st. The backpacking trip is July 20th through 28th this year. Um, and so it's a four-month journey where we'll have a group of 12 uh, and we'll be consistently coming together to explore aspects of the Vivify curriculum, which is drawn from partially from the Animus Valley Institute, partially from other um, traditions and trainings and inspirations that have come into my world. And yeah, it's really designed... Um, for folks who uh, have found some professional success, but are really looking for like a deeper life, 
um, more adventure, deeper connection to nature and an antidote to the burnout and overwhelm and dullness that can be such a common affliction in our modern world. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can go more into the curriculum of Vivify, but on a structural level, that's really what Vivify is. Um, and honestly, maybe the best way to describe the desired outcomes of Vivify is that sense of like, it's a combination of like veriditas, that like aliveness of the wild in dedication of service. So what do you do with it? And Vivify is not expecting everyone to like come to full clarity on what their deepest gift is to offer to this world in this program. And we hope that we'll offer folks some tools to be able to ask that question and be able to walk that path. What are the, what's your ideal participant in this? Yeah, I think um, ideal participant is someone who has played the professional game in whatever way that looks like for them to some degree successfully. So um, probably in the first third of their career, but doesn't have to be um, essentially enough to be like, wow, cool. This is the game. Like, this is the thing that I'm signing up to do for the next 20 or 30 years. Is that really what I want to be doing? Um, it doesn't have to be like contemplating a massive shift in life, but just essentially like a moment of introspection and someone who's curious about deep connecting more deeply with the natural world. I've found through my conversations with folks that many of us have a story of like this one moment when we were a kid or this one moment on like that trip that we went on through our college dorm or whatever it was where we had this sense of like, wow, there is so much more to this world in being embedded in, in nature. And so Vivify is really designed to like reconnect us with that and use that as a launching pad into taking action to live our, our deepest life into the world. Hmm. Nice. I wish I knew about your program and when I was 27, because yeah, basically what happened. Me too. <laughs> I, um, in a way I did learn about your program, but it was under a different name. But yeah, I was, I just was in this place in my career where I was having a ton of success and I was traveling all over the world and making a ton of money for a kid that age. And um, there was one day where I was shooting a Ford commercial in downtown LA and I had this really old cinematographer. He is, you know, in his sixties and just like really spunky young energy. And um, we were stuck in traffic and like the shoot wasn't going so well. Cause there were just some, some technical issues that we kept having. And he just looked at me and he goes, you know, at least I wake up every day. And I think there's no better job in the world than this. This is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. And I started to nod, but then I stopped and I was like, wait, I actually don't think I feel that. Like, I actually don't feel resonance with what you're sharing. I don't know. Do I want to be doing this every day for the next 40, 50 years of my life? And uh, yeah, that's a, that was like one of the first indicators of this sort of deep kind of it was a depression, like I guess clinically speaking, you could call it a depression, but it felt more like a, a, a gnawing. It was like soul was like gnawing on me. Like, are you just going to keep doing this? Are you just going to keep doing this? You've taste, you've already kind of played the game. You won the game. Are you just going to keep winning the game? Is that really what you want to be doing with this one precious life? As What's her name says? <laughs> this one wild and precious um, life, Mary Oliver. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to this holistic psychiatrist um, and wound up in his office and I basically was expecting to be prescribed antidepressants. And he looked at me and he goes, Tucker, 
I'm not going to prescribe you drugs, but I am going to prescribe you a book. And he took this book and he just slammed it down on the table. And as Bill Plotkin's nature and the human soul. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Thanks. Like I'll read it, you know? And he's like, Tucker, read it today. I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> and so I went home and I started reading it. And then I was just like, I just binged it. I mean, it's a fat book and I binged it in just a couple of days. And when I got to the wander in the cocoon chapter, I just, I was like, oh, I'm not, um, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I, I don't need to be on pharmaceuticals. I'm like, I'm fine, actually. Like I, I could go through a lot of healing and I should probably enter therapy to work on some of this early childhood wounds that were coming out. And I didn't really have a way of being with that, but everyone has this. It's not like some, there wasn't some fundamental issue with my, my, my being. It was actually just that I felt a sense of emptiness and a lack of meaning in what my life was. And it's because I've sort of like got to the end of this chapter of life or this stage of life. And I was just yearning like on a deep primal level for something more, for some deeper way of being in the world. And this book just like perfectly illuminated a path forward for me in that time. So yeah, I guess that was just a, a little, but I could imagine if he had said, Tucker, do this program. And it was your program instead of, you know, read this book or whatever. I would have been like, oh yeah, sure. I'll check it out. I'd be like, no, do it. And I'll be like, okay. And then to meet someone like yourself that had sort of gone through a similar, a similar trajectory that I could see myself in. Um, I, I couldn't imagine how powerful that would be. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And, um, it's beautiful to see how, you know, the right teachings found you in the right moment. Um, and yeah, I think that it's almost, it's really tragic almost to think about what would have happened if you had been prescribed antidepressants and all to say, like, I think that mental health is a very real thing. Antidepressants can be the right thing for many people. I'm not an expert in any of this and like feeling a sense of dissatisfaction or wondering whether the path that you're on is the right thing is not maladaptive. It's actually like very understandable in the world that we live in, where we're constantly being asked to th do things that go against our foundational nature. Um, and, you know, I had a very similar experience with the journey of soul initiation, which is another one of, of Bill's books where I was reading it and it was like, Oh my God, this is how the world is. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like being seen and being understood and it being okay for me to be in the place that I was in, um, which allowed me to let go and commit to a very uncomfortable experience that we don't have good models for in our mainstream modern world. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, while I will say that the, the arc and teachings of Vivify are significantly less refined and, and tested by years of experience than, uh, Bill's work and the Animus Valley Institute, I think in many ways they're, they're, uh, a little bit more accessible possibly and um maybe more focused on like adventure and aliveness um so that's that's really like the stake that i'm putting in the ground right now um and yeah calling forward people that that feel aligned with that yeah beautiful so there's a lot of wilderness therapy or wilderness um you know deep dive programs that are out there. I wouldn't even know what category to label these as, but why is Vivify different and unique? 
Yeah. Uh, so Vivify is is really a bridge between the world that I lived in for a long time, which is the world of like climate focused tech companies. And, you know, I have I've been a chief of staff for a regenerative agriculture company. I've done the thing where I'm on Zoom for eight hours a day uh, and just feeling exhausted by the end of the day. And and so there is a felt sense of of real like empathy for the people that I'm serving. And for the people that are in Vivify, that I think can be different from some programs with folks who have had the good fortune or are just like taken the career path of of really just being like wilderness and mountain guides full time. Um, I also think that there's a whole other element of Vivify that is really built around the teachings of the Conscious Leadership Group. Um, they wrote a book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, which is a phenomenally well-articulated like operating manual for how to move through the world effectively, both in relationship with yourself and relationship to the people around you. And so we uh, work with a number of tools from the Conscious Leadership uh, Framework as part of the extended four-month Vivify program. And so this Vivify is much more than just a backpacking trip. It's much more than just a wilderness trip. It is a wilderness-based coaching program. And so we are working with um, we're working with the folks that are in Vivify throughout this four-month period to really um, lay the foundations for a powerful experience in the wilderness and just deepen themselves into their lives. Um, one of the things we do is uh, every person in Vivify uh, commits to meditate 10 minutes a day. And we have a specific meditation instructor um, uh, who will be coming in to support people with their meditation practice. And that's essentially because like foundationally our experience of our lives is what we pay attention to and i recognize that meditation is a far far deeper path than just helping us to be more focused or uh, be more aware and it's a beautiful place to start and so we use vivify as a way to to support folks with accountability on that front we also um really support um people in going through a process to define their ideal relationship with technology and then give them support and accountability to stick to that um, because i think one of the things that you and I would probably agree is like universally causing a diminishment, a diminishment in people's lives is some degree of relationship with technology. We're spending too much time on our phone. We're spending too much time behind screens. We're burned out. We're overwhelmed. We're comparing ourselves. It's hard to make that change. Vivify is here in part to be uh, a space of accountability to really do that and refine the way that you want to relate to technology. So I'll pause there. All to say, like, there's a bunch more to Vivify than than just the wilderness trip. Um, and I think that is, uh, you know, on the other side of it, the wilderness piece is what sets Vivify apart from most other coaching programs. That and the uh, absolute dedication to um, helping folks foundationally feel more alive and eventually be more in service to the natural world. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Sounds Sounds really great. <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. I want to just return briefly to a place where um, I touched on at the very beginning, which is around integrating. I mean, in a sense, everything is nature. Cars are part of nature, technology. Um, but then there's also, I think, you know, the there's a different flavor of nature that we can have on Zoom than we can have when we're running around on a mountain with a bunch of trees and listening to the birds and so how there's so many different paths that I want to go down but just one that I'll briefly touch on is that my sense of soul and the work that I'm here to to do and embody and bring out into 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 being is around creating regenerative intentional communities that can 
integrate technology, humanity, and nature in one sort of land-based village that is also sort of globally connected to the, the global village, which is such a privilege that we have in this modern day to be so connected um, to all of planet Earth in a way, while still can we come back and it's almost like embodying into land-based um, villages where we can know our neighbors and our neighbors can include our human neighbors that can be more like our extended family, not just sort of our anonymous neighbors next door, but also our neighbors in terms of the tree that we get to see grow through many years. And we get to see, the, <coughs> excuse me, the different seasons and the, we get to learn the birds and we have, we get to know the names of the, you know, the squirrels that come and, um, you know, bless the the garden every day. And so there's a sense of like actually feeling as if the natural world becomes a part of our extended family. And then that love and that care just very effortlessly flows out into all living beings, which I think children have quite innately. Um, so in a way, it's like bring all of the awareness and the cognitive capacity and the, um, and the wisdom of being an adult in whatever way we want to define that, but like bringing that back down into the primal childlike wonder and the animal body um, that has been here long, long before any sense of modern technology has. So I'm curious for you, and I'm asking partly because like I want to study from your wisdom and your life experience of how do you like given that we're still living in a modern context in a modern paradigm where a lot of our work is online and is in offices even or is in urban centers where there is very little raw natural nature how do you um like help people walk closer and closer towards bringing in that sense of a deep connection with nature when they might for whatever reason not have immediate access to that in the way that you do living out of a van traveling through the mountains for example yeah, it's a great question. And that's another aspect of integrated wildness, which is the second pillar of Vivify. Um, and so what I'll say here is I'll offer a little um, perspective on my own journey with this. So last year I was uh, working as the head of product for a solar finance company, um, which so like really aligned mission, um, you know, helping to decarbonize the energy system, um, uh, yeah, work that needs to be done. And I was having this really intense aversion to zoom. I was like, I just, I can't be on a screen. I need to leave this job and build a life where I'm not on a screen. Um, and so I ended up leaving that job. Um, and I'm here talking with you on a screen and I feel fucking great. <laughs> and so what I've learned through this process is like, it's not actually for me like there is a level of like, okay, too much time on a screen. I start to feel burned out. I need to go like look at the natural world. Absolutely. And it's more a sense of like alignment and aliveness. Like I could be recording this podcast with you for like six more hours and probably just feel so energized and lit up and not anything like the sense of, oh my God, too many 30 minute Zoom meetings and context switching and like stuff that's not in my, you know, zone of genius. Um so I'll say that like there's it's it's a little bit more nuanced, I think, than just like screen versus not screen. And that's what I've learned. Um, 
in terms of deepening into connection with the natural world right where we are, that is such a core part of Vivify. And that's another reason why it's much more than just a wilderness trip. So another one of the commitments for Vivify is to make a small offering to the natural world every day. What that could look like, like what it looked like for me this morning was like, I went out for a walk uh, to, in the morning, you know, Andrew Huberman saying, get some sun in your eyes first thing. Uh, and I just took a moment and put my palm on the trunk of a tree and just took a couple of breaths and just remembered and sort of offering my intention to the broader tapestry of life on this planet. And then I kept walking. Uh, oftentimes up in the mountains for me, uh, I drink a lot of tea or a lot of mate. I'll often like bury a couple of leaves of tea or, 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 um, a little bit of yerba, uh, as like a, an offering of, of something back to the natural world. Um, what I'll say here is there's like deep, deep traditions around all of this stuff. And I'm not actually coming from a particular one, but there is this unified sense of, of offering is really important. Some sense of, of giving back and, and physically representing our connection and commitment to the more than human world. Um, so that's, that's something that is very accessible to every single person that if you do that every day, there is a profound sense of like shift in consciousness that can come. And the other thing that I'll share is, um, this also shows up in a piece that I wrote. Um, but in, uh, there's this thing called the nature pyramid, which I first heard about in, uh, Michael Easter's work, uh, the comfort crisis. He got it from, uh, I believe a neuroscientist at MIT, maybe one of the Boston schools. Um, and essentially they've shown that, um, there are these three thresholds that are really helpful at different doses for expanding our connection with the natural world. So 20 minutes, um, you know, a couple times a week, that's just like going for a walk in a park near you. Most people in most places that are listening to this podcast live in a place where they could like ride a bike or drive a car or just go for a walk and be in like a place with trees and grass, um, reasonably a couple of times a week. And just spending 20 minutes walking through that place will meaningfully shift your physiology. Then once a month, if you can, spending five hours in a wildish place is like another layer deeper where you start to, to shift a little bit out of your typical thought patterns and you start to like get into more of a rhythm of movement in the natural world. That could look like going for a hike. Uh, I would call it a wander. We can get more into that if you like. Um, and then there's the, 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 the top of the nature period, probably a better way to say it, uh, is the three-day effect. And this is something that has been scientifically studied of the shifts in our um, psychology and physiology that happens on the third day of an extended time in the wilderness. And if you can get that once a year, I mean, I try to get it like once a month. <laughs> if you could get that once a year, that is uh, profoundly helpful for giving you the space to really reflect on your life. And that's why the Wilderness Trip for Vivify is six days long. So we want to give people the time to marinate in that three-day effect. And that three-day effect is one thing that like, even before I knew it was scientifically studied, like that's a thing that Outward Bound instructors and Knowles instructors talk about. They're like, yeah, day three, something mm -hmm. happens with the group. There's like a coalescing and people drop in. And like a lot of the like, nervous chaotic energy that can come of like being in a new place and trying to figure out the systems and everything kind of drops away and you're like ah we're in mm -hmm. so yeah it's certainly true that like at, at this chapter in my life yeah like i live in a van i often wake up at the base of a ski mountain and like do a big ski tour in the morning and then hop on and um you know run my business do my coaching calls in the afternoon and there's so many ways to find connection with nature and I'm not in remotely pretending that like my way is the only way or even the best way. <laughs> yeah.
I think Jamie Whale has a similar um, calendar where that he used to recapture the rapture, where it was like mm. do some things every day, like little rituals that are daily, and then do um, something a little bit deeper once a week, and then do something that's substantially deeper once a month, and then once a quarter, once a season, do like a full retreat or a full immersion or a full journey, whatever that be. Um, so I love the idea of rhythmifying if that's a word our our touch points with nature and um and with all these types of experiences that are beyond our daily flow you could say one thing i also just really appreciate is the way that you um were naming the ritual the offering and how it's bringing in a concrete physical act like it's there's a gesture of physicality that's involved in that and i found that that can be really really helpful um even with prayer for example it's like if we just sit and kind of meditate and pray and pray, it can be very extremely powerful and beautiful. Um, and if there's also like a physical gesture, it's almost like more of life is praying with life. It's like more, it's somehow more full and it's, it's a, it's coming into the body and it's coming out and through life and then back into the body. And so there's something around, um, yeah, using, even objects in nature and creating a little altar as cheesy as that might sound there's a way in just the physical act of like going up to an altar and taking each piece and for a long time I would kiss each piece and then I would remember the significance like the metaphor or the archetype or the experience and how I found that and what it represents to me and I would like just hold it and be with that um, sense of gratitude or grace I had for each individual object and just the physicality of it I felt was so important and I think something that um, often gets overlooked because it feels so simple, um, but I think it's actually quite profound. Yeah. Physicality and the, the auditory piece too. Like enchanted land is land that's been sung to go mm -hmm. sing to the wild. Like it's, there's something powerful that happens when you're not just thinking about it and you're actually offering your voice. Yeah. Um, and on the physicality piece, yeah, there's a reason to, I believe there's a reason that like the deep trance state that I went into happened when the green clay touched my skin. There's a profound, not just symbolic, but physical somatic act of covering myself in green, in green earth. And so I, I'm, you know, I'll say here, like there are infinite, beautiful lineages of offerings and physical ritual and uh, there's so many ways to do it. And like, it's also totally fine to design your own, as long as you're aware that like you're, you're trying with the right intention. Um, there's a part in, uh, I believe the Emerald podcast about ecological grief, which is heartbreakingly beautiful, um, where he's talking about like, I don't know the right words, but I'm calling, I don't know the right gestures, but I'm calling, I'm trying. And there's like a, uh, I believe that if we're coming from a place of of longing and depth, um, our intention to do something beautiful and physical, to create a little altar, to make an offering. That's the important thing rather than, you know, did we say the right words? Did we, um, did we do everything in the perfect order? Yeah. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories of, um, a young boy who prayed to God and he just said the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I think the mom or someone was like, why are you saying the alphabet? And the boy was like, well, I don't know what to pray. So I'm just giving God all the letters and he can decide. <laughs> it's something like that, but this. Oh, the, it's beautiful. So great.
Well, is there anything else that feels unspoken or important for folks listening to know about you, to know about Vivify, um, anything that your soul is wanting to share while we have this time together? I think just gratitude. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll put uh, all of the links and everything that folks can find me and the work that I'm doing uh, on show notes or wherever the most appropriate place is. But mostly I've just, yeah, Tucker, have really appreciated this conversation. Uh, I feel like it's been a beautiful window back into some things that are um, really profoundly important to me um, and I believe important for the world. So uh, it's been beautiful to share this conversation and be able to weave together a little bit of our stories. So thank you so much for creating this space. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I feel that the the sole purpose of this podcast was um, beautifully animated through this experience. Because really, it was like the the main mission that I had for this podcast was to create an excuse to invite people that I love and I'm curious about into them having like a a formal container in which it kind of creates the time and the space and the structure for them to express themselves in a way that might not be possible if it's just a back and forth bantering conversation at a coffee shop or something. So I feel like this is beautifully done today. And I really hope that people listening and that this can be a, um, like a vehicle for you to, to share your, your soul work and, um, to help touch others. Cause that would be amazing. Yeah. I really appreciate it, Tucker. Thank you. Thanks Tom.